0: And now the conclusion of our two-part interview with Stargate Origins writer Mark Ilvidson only on GateWorld.net. I remember you had said to me a little while ago that you felt the reason you know you worked with this project, you got hired, was your take on Catherine specifically, Catherine Langford. Can you kind of explain what your approach was to her as a character, and you know what she learns and? and how this is a significant event for her, not just in terms of her work, but for her as a human being.
1: Yeah, I wanted to just really delve into a side of Catherine, and I thought it was really interesting to put a female into that who was really driving the story, right? and who was ahead of her time. And, and that came to me very clearly. In the movie now, Heinrich takes her to the car, to the Kubelwagon, and they haven't started moving yet, and she knocks him out. In the original script, they were driving across the desert. The car was in motion, you know, and so when she did it, it was incredibly um, it, to me, it was just incredibly ballsy. Knock somebody <laughs> out um, while they're driving the car, and, uh, but it was just too there was a lot of logistics why we couldn't film it from a I get it, the practical, you know, we weren't making a $200 million movie. Yeah. Um, and so I, at one point, I thought we were going to have to lose it entirely and I'm like, well, what if The car isn't moving, you know, but in my mind, that scene, and that was, I think, what really the the producer at the time really was like, that really sold me. And I really liked this character. And I felt like it was just, she was fearless. And I thought that was really important. And then I liked having her juggle multiple things. You know, she's trying to rescue her father. She's trying to like figure out where she stands with Beale. And then, you know, eventually, as you say, she has that moment of revelation. This is so much bigger than what she thought it was you know, she thought she could just go over and like, you know, rescue her father and bring him back. And now she has to like, in a sense, save the world from unimaginable darkness, you know, which was in, I think that's an actual line that was in the original pitch that like we were given. And I think at one point, Justin has her say it. And we both love that. Cause when he goes, you're kind of being over the top. It's in the dinner sequence Oh, okay. uh, on it. Yeah. I'm almost positive. That's in there. It was definitely in the script and I, I mean, I've seen it several times, but it's, it's, it's always, yeah. Sure. Um, but so, I thought that was a really fun, like, a, there were, we, we like to put like funny little Easter eggs in there. In fact, a lot of the characters that got cut end up being mentioned. Like Owens, the character that was Wasp is now the person who hires her at the museum and uh, just that kind of stuff.
0: Right. So uh, when you were when this was in production, now I know you go through a development process where a lot of people, I'm assuming the executives and Mercedes and you and Justin, have to decide how to package all these thoughts and put it together in a script, and then you lock the script. Uh, how does the project evolve during production? Is there any writers on set? If they want to change something, would you and Justin jump in? Well, just you know, Justin played Gunther. Yeah, yeah, one of the Germans.
1: Uh, so Justin, they ended up having Justin on set. And there were some things that were tweaked a bit on set. Um, like the thing that I think that I remember being the most tweaked that really stood out is I was like, "Oh wow!" Is uh, in our version of the script, the dial home device was very kind of a far away. We weren't sure if we're going to be able to get a real good one or how they were going to build it. Was a very very expensive prop. And then they were actually able to track down the real the fan who owns the real one and you know use the actual dial home device. So that whole sequence of like the dial home device got much more prominent. And uh, there was some additional dialogue added on set. Uh, Justin fleshed out the Ava and uh, Bruca relationship a bit with a few more lines. And then it was really fun because when we were doing the rewrite process, they were so concerned about page length and the scripts were done. You know, there were drafts, 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 drafts. And at one point we did a real brutal edit. The way the process worked was we we started out with um we did outlines. We did like very extensive outlines. Uh Justin and I we would get together, we would discuss it and we were doing like three or four page outlines for these 10 page scripts. And we did a couple passes on the outlines and then when they liked the outlines, we, did, we jumped into scripts. And then at one point we had to have a big map like uh whoa moment where uh, they brought in people and they realized that the, even though a lot of stuff had been in the initial uh, outlines they were fine with, we had to make some character cuts. And that was when characters started to disappear. Um, and some of them were great. like I was like, let's get rid of Kasuv's father. I don't think we need him. There was another, instead of just Wasif and Beale, there was a third person who went back. There were three soldiers that she brought. And there were several more Nazis. And we just had to pare down a bit.
0: It's a nice balance now because you get to know the people you're with, even the villains. You know, you're not struggling to remember who's who or who wants what because yeah, there's no, a good I amount. Was,
1: I was, really happy to lose. Like, I, I always felt like we didn't need the father because we already had a father. You know, like how many fathers need in the script? <laughs> uh, the main thing is I we we wanted a couple like Nazis just to have more bodies there. You know, I, I would have liked to have had more people to fight and die <laughs> and, uh, originally the last two nazis were going to be the, uh, the guards there was a scene where you know now it's wasis and uh motok originally it was going to be nazis that ended up under those masks i'm a little uncomfortable with my like wasis it's it's a really awful fate for poor wasis <laughs> um but um once upon a time those are going to be extra nazis
0: interesting uh, so
1: there was a big scene where, uh, to prove his loyalty, Bruke is giving his extra men, he's giving all of his team, uh, including Ava and everyone, to outset. And um, the guards come in and it, it was a kind of a creepy scene, but it just, it just, we just couldn't make it work logistically. And there were sure. a lot of
0: characters in the scene. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about the format of Origins, and especially uh, in relation to how you said there were more characters. Was it ever bigger than 10 episodes, or were the episodes ever longer than 10 minutes, and how did you approach structuring it? You know, did you structure it like a digital series, or did you structure it like a movie when you were writing it?
1: We really had to structure it like a digital series, and it was always going to be 10-minute episodes. I, I think that was even in the initial announcement. Um, that right. we made a Comic Con, which we made really early during my first week. Oh, so you got topic. hired I'd been right about it. before. I've been thinking on it about it for I got hired in June, but there was a break while they were, you know, bringing everything together and then we started, I think, on Tuesday I feel like it was it was either the first or the second week that we did Comic Con. So it was really early. We were conscious that like it can be cut together into a feature. It will be a bit Tiny bit wonky because it won't follow the classic,
0: you know, three
1: six three structure. Yeah, but you know where we have kind of a big end, like a a, a mini cliffhanger or something at the end of each episode, and um, but that was how we really structured it. And
0: how many drafts were there approximately?
1: I would say like nine or ten drafts of every script. Um, we did a lot of passes.
0: Well, I guess when you're working with these very beloved existing properties, there's so much. Tweaking and oversight that goes on. So I guess you've joined the ranks of the writers who've gotten to work on big properties like Star Trek or Star Wars or Stargate.
1: Yeah, and there was there was just a lot of you know there were a lot of people that had a lot of ideas. You know, there were some real challenges. I mean, the biggest challenge was making the language issue work, right? Um, where it was very in the TV show, they don't really deal with it. When they go to the other planets, everyone speaks English. And in our first meeting with Mercedes, she expressed a real interest to not do that, to actually use the language. And if we're going to have Nazis, to have them speak German at times. And it was a real exciting idea. And I actually am really happy with the way it came out. During the process at times, it was very challenging. Because in the movie, you have a group of people go through the Stargate, and they have to learn the language. One person has to figure it out. In our version, we had two groups, so it had to happen twice for it to make sense. And I think once we started playing around with with lots of helps, I think it ended up working. But there was a lot, that was where a lot of our time went, trying to make that language make sense.
0: So I have a question. With the writing, what uh, influences did you pull on apart from, you know, the, of course, the original movie and Stargate? You know, what movies or TV shows or even maybe pieces of literature did you or influenced you in terms of tone and story?
1: I have to say, like, I mean, the two big ones that I grew up with, you know, Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, yeah. some of the banter and the humor. And Wasis, especially when we decided to make him Egyptian which made me really nervous because it was like, whoa, I have not written in this dialect and we're, you know, I don't have a lot of time to research this. I, I really have to say, I studied the character uh, in the written Raiders of the Lost Ark played by Jonathan Rhys, Davies, Sala. Sala. Yeah, yeah. A lot. And I was like, cause I always thought Sala was played in a really well, uh, he was drawn in an interesting way where he sounded different, but he didn't sound stiff like a stereotype. And he, he wasn't, dumb or jokey. And I was really concerned that we wanted, you know, and part of it, we had the advantage that Wasif is his role is to say, he's kind of, you know, the voice of reason, or he's saying, you know, things that the audience wishes they could say. Like I wish in real life it was as witty as Wasif on the fly. And, and so I felt when I met, uh, when I met all the actors, I was so happy that, um, they liked the script and especially, you know, Wassa, Because uh, I was worried. I really didn't want Wassa to come across like a stereotype. Right. And um, so during that chunk of time, I watched that movie quite a bit. And then the original Stargate was huge as far as like tone and influence. And, we, you know, we tried to echo things like the Bonnie Way moment. One moment that I, I'm really happy with that I think is a real neat idea is we were really struggling all the way through was like, how much of Bruke's backstory do we need to know? How does he know what the gate is? That kind of thing. Yeah. And we all had pitched various ideas of things he could bring. That was things he could say or some bit of backstory. And it was not working. And I got really frustrated and I went for a rush and I was running and all of a sudden I was like, Oh, like, what if he has like a a piece of hieroglyphs that show the gate and show everything on it. And that originally, I think in my mind, it was going to be like a a piece of terracotta or something. And then it became that piece of parchment. And there's that great shot where it goes from the piece of parchment up and you then see the gate. And that was a very late in the game fix. That was just, I was like, aha. And then we pitched it and everyone was like, yes. And I, really happy with the way that came out. You know, originally when they went through the gate, they were going to show up at the same location, uh,
0: as the original in
1: Rod, as the original stargate. Yeah. And then I would watch it and I was watching the making of, you know, and that was this incredibly vast nine story set or something. And I was like, there's no way to (laughs) to match this. And they were like, well, what if we do this? And I was like, no. But what if, I'm like, what if we make it, it's its own palace. It's Asset's offshoot palace, and it's some area of the planet we haven't seen. And they're like, well, that's great, but then what about the gate? The gate's in the wrong place. And they're like, well, the gate can move, because in the movie, the gate moves. You know, the movie, in the gate, the movie starts out outside of Giza, and then ends up wherever that secret bunker is. I can't remember, you know, the bunker where the gate is where they finally opened it in the film with James Spader. And I'm like, so the gate can move on the planet, and it doesn't need to change that much. And that was a big aha moment, too, where I thought that was going to solve that problem.
0: Right. So um, with the extra material the characters, I know Kieran Dixon, who's the editor of Stargate Command, has worked with you guys on the mission files, which he'll post at the end of every episode on Stargate Command, and they'll... um, focus on a characters and some of the extra mythology that couldn't quite make it in. How much did you get to contribute to those mission files?
1: He actually really led the charge on those.
0: Okay. He cool. would send
1: them to me, and it was more that I would... There was a few things of his that I just would say, no, no, that... one. It was like... There was a line talking about Wasif, where it goes you know Wasif considers himself considers himself a lover more than a fighter And it's like oh no 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 Wasif doesn't wouldn't think that at that point <laughs> doesn't think he's gonna have any romance but i he, he did a really good job of i mean we talked about it a bit but i was really impressed with how much stuff he brought to the world and there was also stuff that he added that was you know pulled that we there was some stuff that just didn't make it into the scripts finally right um Backgrounds, you know, we, there was lines that got cut and yada yada yada, and I was always—I really enjoyed reading those when he'd send them my way.
0: That's cool. So I have a question that also kind of ties into the mission files, but specifically about the villains. Um, I was—I actually want to discuss this with Darren on the full podcast we do—the review of, of all origins, one through ten. I, as a viewer, I couldn't really make up my mind as who the true villain was, or even if. The Origins has a true villain, because on one hand, you have the Germans, and there's even some factions within the Germans who are trying different things. You know, is it Bruka? How do you say his name again?
1: Uh,
0: Bruka. Bruca. Yeah. Okay, so Bruka. at first he's, you know, uh, uh, seems like he's a lapdog of the Fuhrer, and then it bec- uh, becomes very obvious he has selfish motivations for power. Then you have As- uh, Asad, who's trying to, who is in contention with Ra, and then you also have Ra, who's this looming presence. I mean, who in your mind would you say... Is really the central evil of the story, in your opinion?
1: It was always it was Bruke for the okay. most part, and then Usat was always like not great, and and then Ra coming in at the end, he you know is a neat time of the movie, but he's he comes in at the very end, you know, and he causes a lot of destruction and whatnot. But in my mind, it was you know Bruke is the one who kidnaps and is is really trying. And he's the one who also really needs to be stopped at this point in the story. All of the evilness is really largely his idea. Certainly. His plan to like, you know, have Osset join forces with Hitler or, and ultimately he's just really going, his plan at the end is to go back and just get rid of Hitler,
0: you know? Right. And
1: he's, wants everything for himself
0: and he gets very power drunk in the last half of origins for sure that's kind of what i thought you're about bruka um because towards the end of origins you know in parallel with bruka getting extremely power drunk and just megalom levels of megalomania you have langford and alice opening up a dialogue and he's trying to forge like a, a subversive alliance and explain that you know, not all humans are the same. Not all humans are like this guy. And it's, it, it created some ambiguity for the character of Owsette. So she's not just this evil murderer. She's someone who almost has a more intellectual approach. And it's not just about her and her personal power. Right.
1: And then also, the other main deal is if Catherine is your protagonist, her main antagonist by far is, is Brutex.
0: Right, he's the yeah. person
1: who wronged her in the beginning. He's the person she's fighting against, and you know, that greatly complicates things when she shows up? In life, there's never just one villain. I mean, in the real world, you know, I mean, and if you look at like World War Two, like yeah, Hitler was really bad, but there was a whole bunch of other people going on, you know, in the Nazis, yeah. upper ranked Nazis that were causing problems, and then you've got Mussolini and you know, Japan. So in my Mm -hmm. mind, it was, there was some interesting parallels. It was almost like, you know, Alistair was going to be another ally. The one concept that was really interesting that Mercedes had at the beginning, it was really from the very first meeting, Mercedes wanted Alistair to have a baby. And that was an idea we really liked. And then it got really complicated because of the Harsis's issue. And, that was something we wrestled with trying to make that work and at one point i have to admit i was lobbying to get rid of the baby because uh, we were having problems making it work and then also i was like logistically because you know we couldn't have a baby for the entire shoot it was also so fascinating because you know the stewart angle um stewart is the egyptologist who you know did the translating for us and he did the translating in the film too and I was so thrilled when I heard that they had found him because one of the things that happened to me at the Stargate party uh, at Comic-Con is two fans came up to me and started talking to me in that language. Oh, they were reciting lines and, and I was like, Oh wow, this is a really tricky language. (laughs) I don't know anything about. And I, I had found in the, on the DVD, you know, there was, Stuart was interviewed at one point. They were talking about how he did this, and I was like, "We've got to find this person." And it was so fortunate that not only did we find him, but that he, you know, was working in Santa Barbara, where we didn't have to like you know fly him in from Luxor or something. (laughs) He's been just a ton. Right. I was I was so relieved because I was like, I do not have the time to try to figure out this language in a way that makes sense because it's it's a very you know it's a real language and I'm fans. Are into that kind of thing. and It was very important to all of us that we get that right.
0: I was actually just going to bring that up because I interviewed Daniel a couple of days ago, and a big thing we talked about was the language. I mean, his audition tape, the only audition he did was him improving The prompt was improv a scene where you're trying to explain to someone else a language that they don't know, which is kind of like what the scene ended up where he meets Beale and Catherine Wasif, and so apparently that was good enough that that he got you know, just his, his communicative performance was good enough that he got the part and he got to talk a lot about working very extensively to learn how your words would fare in translation. Yeah. And I don't, especially because the way the shooting worked for logically, we actually started the first day
1: on set was they were shooting, you know, the big nos deadly. Um, oh God, we should talk about that at some point. Yeah. Um, we'll get
0: to the next, we'll do that right next.
1: Yeah. The name knows deadly. Um, is something that I, I still cracks me up for. Uh, it's actually my name backwards. <laughs> and it was originally going to be a placeholder. And everybody thought it worked for the name of that town. And I was like, great, we'll leave it in. But yeah, it definitely is Mark. It was Ilberton Il- Il- backwards. That's where that name came from. Um, and it was late one night. And I'm like, we need to have him talk about what this place is. And I'm like, well, that sounds, we'll just do that and we can change it. And then it just stayed. Oh. But we started shooting those scenes. So his first day was he had to know that language. And I don't, he probably talked to you about it, like when Stewart came on or whatever, but it wasn't like he had weeks to nail it. I think right. it was pretty quick.
0: Yeah, he told me it was something it once on. you buckle in, once you buckle in, you're, you're going. You know, you get a few very short two days of rehearsal or something and then you're, you're shooting.
1: Right, right. He was so I was. I remember sitting there and going, "Wow, okay." Because I'd been when you write it. Yeah, that was one of the things I was like, "Wow, I wonder how this is going to come out." You know, it, his lines were in English, and then there was
0: a parenthetical in ancient Egyptian. You know, so how is it going forward after Origins? Um, how was it seeing? You know, I think this was your first produced credit, right? So, what was that experience like? You know, it was so surreal.
1: The Thursday before uh, they started shooting. I think they started, yeah, they started shooting on Saturday. I went to like a cast and crew get together. You know, writers are very removed from casting. Cool. I was also off writing. We were frantically writing during the casting process. And so it was really fascinating to, you know, meet these actors that were playing the characters. And it was Interesting, because some were exactly what I pictured, and some were different. And the ones that were different, they're not the characters yet. They're, especially the outfits are different, and um, the makeup, the hair, everything is different. Uh, Langford plays older. He's, yeah, he looked Trinidad. really young when I met him. Yeah. And, he is, and he's fantastic. And I remember when I showed up on set the first day, I think I even walked by him for a second. And I was like, I wonder, and I'm like, oh, that's him. You know, the glasses, and the, they did a really good job. They changed his right. hair, and it, it was really surreal. And to stand there on set and to, like, you know, see everything was really petty
0: and stuff. So you, you, were, you weren't involved on set in production. You kind of got a break, and once they started shooting, you you took a step back? Yeah, I took a step back.
1: I showed up on set five or six times. But at that point I was it was really Mercedes show. You know? Certainly, yeah. And Justin was there. Justin and I, were, I always felt we were very much on
0: the same page. So it made sense. And that's like a luck of the draw as back. well cuz you were just paired with Justin. So that was very much that was like
1: the greatest lucky accident of the whole process cuz I remember when I found out we got the email and it was like, congratulate, you know, it was like, welcome, we're going to do the first meeting. And I was like, oh, cool. And I'd known there was going to be another writer. I had found out, I think, just earlier that day. And I was like, oh, great. you know, Fantastic. Because I, well, I was like, that's yes, the more the better. And then a friend of mine was like, what if you don't like the other writer? What if he's just awful? And I was like, oh, why did you put that in my head? When we met, we were often very much on the same page. And I, I felt like the way we wrote the scripts, too, like you'll notice we co-wrote everything. And it started out like we would, I think at one point I was going to write six episodes and he was going to do four for for some reason, because I was ahead of an episode or something, or we're going to do five and five. And then in the process, we just were swapping scripts back and forth and it got, I'm like, we really are, we were both improving each other so much, you know, we would, he'd do like, I would do a draft of three, he'd do a draft of four whoever would finish first would start five and then we would swap, but we were, we were constantly going back and forth because we didn't have a, we wrote on our own. We talked about getting a room at one point, but it didn't make a lot of sense for just two writers. And then we both live in the same part of LA. So we would meet up and then we were doing a lot of times we were writing on our own and emailing each other. Um, you know, it was a lot of phone stuff and we would get together and have these long lunches um, at the one oh one cafe In on Franklin, which was a great place to write because you could stay there for hours and they were happy to have you. Um, but that was a really fun part of the process. We would, we both got so comfortable, we could change each other's lines, and there was no drama, which you can sometimes get. Um, I was always like, Oh, he changed that. Oh, yeah, I see why he did that, and vice versa, you know. And it was just a real, real fun collaboration. And I was so. I was so amused and pleased when I found out he uh, ended up playing Gunther, which originally was a different name.
0: He fit well. It's always interesting to have a writer performing their own script. I mean, that can, sometimes it can go well, sometimes it's... yeah. It was fun. I, I, was, I, I will confess,
1: as somebody who does comedy and stuff, I was jealous. And I was like, oh, you should have written a part that was more your age. But uh, honestly, I, I think also I, I was happy to not. I really, Justin nailed it, and I was like, ooh, wow, because I agree. I, you don't want to be, like, people who are like, who's that? You know what I mean? But no, and I I really liked, um, yeah. So Justin you didn't have, really,
0: like, any cameo, or any on-screen uh, no, background work. No, no, I okay. would, no, there really wasn't a logical place for it to be. Um, That's
1: fair, yeah. And I, I, I don't know, I, I suppose, It just didn't make sense. Um, I guess maybe in the last scene or whatever. Um, But the last scene went through a lot of revisions. And uh, in the original script, Beale didn't die.
0: Oh, this Um, is interesting. I'd love it. Okay, so I wanted to wrap things up because you've been so generous with your time. But I definitely want to get to this Beale story. Because Dare and I both liked that sacrifice. We thought it was it was very noble of him and he has this kind of, you know, British passion to him and this old, old style officer, World War II era feel. So I thought that was very in character and it just made him more likable. So what was the other version?
1: It was a very Humphrey Bogart ending. Um, and I think it just didn't play as well, or it left people confused. It, it, there's a scene that's still in the script where Wasif asks Beale, like, what's going to happen when we get home? And, Beal misunderstands and says, I don't know, you know, between the, you know, what about the gate? And, and Wasif says, you know, it's too dangerous for our world. And, and then Beale says, well, if it was up to me, I wouldn't, nobody would ever go through that blast again. And Wasif is like, well, it wouldn't be up to you. And what happened is in the original script is he pushes them through. They all get through. He doesn't get shot, but he, you know, when he pushes them through the gate, he follows. And on the other side, you know he looks at Catherine and she looks up and she has no idea who he is. Oh. And then he makes the decision to not tell her what happened. And the last scene is he's talking to an agent and he's lying about what happened to the agent. He's like going well, so and and he's making the decision to protect the gate and get the gate to America and he's sacrificing his relationship with Catherine to keep her and keep the gate
0: safe. Um, Interesting. So, how did that? Yeah. What What changed about that? What What didn't resonate, and why did it get cut? If you can say,
1: I honestly am not sure. We did two versions of the script the last week. we did, we wrote both versions, and the powers that be wanted to go with this version, and so they went with that version. Um, I, I can see the merits of both. My main issue was I always. I, I liked Beal's sacrifice, but I wish that I could have had him go out with more of a bang, but it just, but I actually, they shot it really well. I like the way it plays. Right. Um, I was concerned because I was like, well, who's he fighting at that point? Cause so many people are, you know, but um, it, it, it isn't, it makes sense. And it does, you know, neatly, you know, there was, I think also some concern that if Beal knew about the gate, you know, um, is that bad that he's alive knowing about the gate? And I think that may have been part of the reason, but I wasn't part of that process. I, we just did the two versions of the scripts and then I found out which one they were going to go with. Sure. And, uh, and I, would worked on both. So I like both, but the, the, they were, the, the other one was the original one that for a long time we were moving towards. And I did like, there was a, you know, he looks back, and one of the last lines, was he says something like, goodbye, Cap, and then walks away. And it was, it was a moment that I liked.
0: Right, so I yeah.
1: Maybe. It was, and then, I, even I think her last line was the same, where she, it, it, yeah, it was interesting, but it just, um, at one point, Kiernan had talked about, like, putting the scripts up. And I was like, yeah, I ever want to do it. I'm down for it. So it's always fun to see how. You, mean, you know, publish change? Publish the
0: shooting scripts, different. or publish the earlier drafts? Yeah, so, or
1: even publish the alternate scripts. You know, if people wanted to see the two different versions, because there's a lot of them. You know, most of the episode is the same; it just diverges at that one point. Right. And uh, and it was it's you know it's always interesting to see, it. and I, I can see how it was in my mind. You know we could have had a thing in the mission file that like Beale then gets killed because this big war is coming, you know? Certainly, yeah. Um, That's an interesting question. And I also like the idea that Beale could maybe, if somehow goes through... There was an idea... At one point, they wanted us to have, you know, could we do a season two of this? Are there characters that could be left over? And he was one of the characters that I thought was an interesting one to keep. And then at one point, Wasif was going to, we were, well, that's a long story, but at one point I thought like, you know, we could go revisit it through that. But I think they also decided that they wanted to have the next origins be a completely different world. So we could wrap things up. And I think that may have also been part of the reason.
0: That's cool. I love the character of Beale. I thought you guys did a great job crafting him with that. Classic essence is probably the best way to put it. Beale was such a fascinating character. to Because he's so good. The actor, you've interviewed him, correct? I'm going to tomorrow, so he's up next. I'll tell him you said hi. <laughs> well, brace, brace yourself. He's not British. I, I thought he was British, No way. You're kidding was,
1: me. He was, no, he was being very methody on set, and I <sighs> think maybe when I met him, no way. I don't even know if it was deliberate, or like, when he was just one, of, he, I, I, I thought he was British, and he's not. He, he's just a very good actor.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing all your stories. Um, this is a treasure trove of information. I think we have to break it up into two parts. Uh, just quickly before we leave, where can people follow your career? And do you have any projects coming up that you can tease us about? You know, I'm working on
1: some stuff right now, but it's all really early preliminary stuff. And I've been revisiting some old scripts. And, and you know the best way to track anyone is on IMDb. Certainly. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know i 'm on Facebook, and there's s g o writer on Instagram that you can follow me at. I had to be very careful I wanted at one point I thought I was going to do a lot more tweeting, but they they really wanted us to be so minimal uh, that I just kind of held off as to avoid any spoilers and not get in trouble.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for being able to talk about this now and providing all the insight. I know this is the kind of interviews I love listening to early on, you know when I was young, and the other shows were on air, so this is really great insight as to how origins came about. So Mark, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck with all future. Thank you. It was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And stick around with Stargate fandom. We're, we're nice. We promise (laughs) we can get a little passionate, but.
1: Oh, I, am a, I'm a very big star Wars fan. So I'm aware. I I totally see both sides.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much again. Um, I guess we'll see you around. All right. Take care.